Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Play USA, thanks to Yonex. High-quality performance tennis products crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com. Welcome to September's edition of Play USA, where we chat with Terrellgan's Josh Charlton, who is in his senior year at the University of Oregon. It was a little bit of a, like an odd path for me, I guess. I, I started, uh, always wanted to go to college from a young age. So from year nine and everything, I planned my classes to go and play, you know, set everything up to, to play college tennis. And, and I actually originally was getting recruited by UNLV and and uh, a few other schools and then Oregon last minute actually contacted me and and uh, I think they had a recruit fall through and then so they were able to offer me the scholarship that suited me and and I took on the opportunity because I thought it was a great fit for me just a really professional school with great athletic facilities and good coaching staff and I felt like as a program that that, that was on the up as well um, you know because I think they're really starting to establish themselves within the top 30 schools in the country and uh, had, had Thomas Laurent there who was a player ranked top three in the country. So Neil Shilander, the head coach there, actually flew out their assistant to come watch me play um, at, a, at a money tournament in Bendigo and I, I guess he liked what he saw and and uh, from there we moved forward and, and yeah, I ended up landing uh, as a duck. Because you started over there in, as a freshman in 2018 and that was a sort of a period of time where the UTR was blowing up. Now, you obviously, you were fortunate for um, their assistant coach to go and watch you at the money tournament in Bendigo, but hadn't he have done that, would you have relied on UTR? Was it big enough to sort of get coaches to look at your level or did you, would you have to rely on collegiate videos and resume and bios and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, so when I was getting recruited... Yeah, you're right. That's when UTR was really starting to be a big thing. I was lucky enough to have a solid UTR. I don't think it was necessarily like high enough to for, for coaches to really come after me. But um, I had a couple. I had a couple solid results um, in the Grade One ITF in Trelgan. Um, me and Jeremy Taylor won the December Showdown doubles um, under 18s back to back years, which was which was a big help as well. And then I do think you know, uh, Oregon taking the risk to fly their coach out and invest some money into coming to see me play live was a big factor because University of South Florida, they were recruiting Chase Ferguson at the time and their head coach flew out to watch Chase and and uh, actually teed up a session to watch me and Jeremy play as well. And, and all of our UTRs were a little bit lower, I think, coming from Australia and you know, those coaches seeing us live in person, really, they it really caught their attention and they, they really started to think, well, like these boys can play. I think that was definitely an influence in, in the Oregon recruiting me. Well, it's a hot topic um, in Australia right now, uh, the UTR system. I know that Australian players do have typically a lower UTR than a lot of the American players, and that's just based on the number of tournaments per year. But, you know, Chase and Jeremy, they've come on earlier episodes on the on the podcast um, they're at big schools just like yourself or, you know, they've just graduated. But as, going into your freshman year, when you first worked on the campus, you're in U- U- Eugene, Oregon, one of the biggest universities in the country. What was your first impression? It's a good question, mate. Yeah, definitely uh, like a, a daunting, you know, I think for sure. But at 
the same time, you know, it was really, I felt like I had a chip on my shoulder, you know, like I've, I've been given a really good opportunity, you know, I was on a, I'm on a good scholarship, they've invested a lot of money into me, and, you know, with limited scholarships in the college system, if you are on a big scholarship, you know, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to really perform, I think, because it's a pretty cutthroat industry like that. So there's, there's definitely, definitely expectation pressure. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I felt like, you know, I've grown up in Trelgan my whole life, a small town in country Victoria. Um, you know, I felt like I just had nothing, nothing to lose really. And, and a bit of a chip on my shoulder to prove everyone that I can play. And, and yeah, of course, a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation, but I felt like, you know, I was working hard. I backed myself and, and uh, you know, I just thought, you know, like, why not? So I had a really good freshman year and, and that sort of established myself as, as a key player in the Oregon team, which I thought was, was really important to, to find my feet. How was it growing up in Tarogan? Obviously, it's a smaller city in eastern Victoria. Um, a lot of the other juniors that you'd play against have all the training in Melbourne. How was that for you growing up? I felt like um, Tarogan's lucky, like Tarogan's. It's, it's, it holds a couple of big events, you know, like the Grade One ITF and, and an ATP Challenger. And I've, I've got my dad, who's the head coach there, actually, um, Graham Charlton, or known as Wolfer. So he was a big influence to uh, to help me with my tennis and and help develop me as a player. And then I felt like coming from Trelgan was almost, yeah, like uh, yeah, as I said, like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder to, you know, like so when I had to play a tournament in Melbourne or, or practice in Melbourne, I'd have to catch a two-hour train ride there, two hours back just to get to the courts and to be able to train and compete, I felt like I was putting in more work already, you know. So I felt like, you know, these guys, you know, like or you know, like I've I've, I've almost felt like I've I've had to do more to, to get to that. So I felt like yeah, I guess the best way to describe just a little chip on the shoulder to actually to you know, these guys maybe rolling out of bed for an eight thirty practice or something, you know, I've I've got on the train at six 6 a.m. you know just to be there so um it was definitely tough for a lot more travel but i think it just it just shows you know really if you if you if you want to do it or not you know like are you willing to you know if you want if you, if you want to make it happen you're gonna to have to sacrifice a lot of a lot of time a lot of things a lot of travel so and yeah i love playing tennis so i felt like um you know it wasn't uh too big of an issue for me and tennis is an individual sport. You know, Andre Agassi, um, when he wrote his book, Open, he, he kind of refers to tennis as being a lonely sport. Um, now, with you obviously going two hours to Melbourne, two hours back, do you feel like that's helped prepare you not only for, you know, collegiate life, but also playing futures in, you know, you played in Tunisia earlier this year and, you know, you're sort of by yourself a lot of the times, not just on the court, but, you know, traveling wise, you know, in hotels and that whole scheme of things. Yeah, definitely. No, I think... Um... Definitely, yeah, helped me, uh, you know, prepared me for the loneliness of the sport. So I think, I think it definitely is. You know, you've got your, you've got, you know, when you're there, a lot of the Aussie boys are, are good guys, and you train together and you hang out a bit. But, you know, everyone's on their own schedule as well. So as soon as you, you lose, you're onto the next tournament or, or, or whatever. But, yeah, I do think um, I've learned to be just very, yeah, just very comfortable with my own company. And, and I think, yeah, growing up in Trelgan and a lot of travel and. And a lot of time by myself on public transport has has uh, helped me to not worry about being by myself or, or whatnot. So you're going into your fifth year. Uh, I guess you'd be like a super senior, or is that the fifth year because of the COVID year didn't count towards your NCAA eligibility? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, I'll go into. I was lucky enough. So with yeah, with the the COVID extra year eligibility being granted, it's still up to the coaches to offer their players a fifth year or not. So. I was, I was, I'm grateful that Oregon, you know, wanted to have me back and, and I was happy to, uh, 
you know, you see a lot of a lot of players um, take the chance to maybe transfer to a new school and 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 you know have a new experience, new conference or or whatnot. But I was really happy to uh, to stick with Oregon because they were the people who gave me a shot at the start. You know, um, you know when you're being recruited, every school has the opportunity to recruit you. But you know, Oregon were the ones who backed me in and and helped me out. So I'm I'm more than happy to give my last year back to them and and hopefully do some special things this year. So going into your fifth year, I guess you're going to be starting in the fall, which is only a couple of weeks away. And, you know, Eugene, Oregon, University of Oregon is sort of a home away from home for you now. Um, and as of late, um, what would a normal day look like for you um, in the fall and in the spring? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'll go back in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we'll, we'll have about a week, week and a half training block and going to All-American. But just a day in the life of, of me would usually be so class in the morning. So class would start at 8 a.m. So I'll wake up around 6.30ish, um, go to the athletic facility where they serve us cooked breakfasts by chefs. So we'll go into the facility, sign in, write down our order on a piece of paper. The chef will cook it for you, sit down, have breakfast with all the other athletes, and then start class usually, depending on what day, usually varies, but anywhere from two hours to four hours of class in the morning. So on my busiest day, I'll have class around 8, 8, 8 a.m. through to about uh, midday, 12 o'clock. I have a couple hours off to have lunch. Uh, once again, at the athletic facility, go there, same sort of thing. You have a set menu to pick from, um, usually all pretty good options. Yeah, start pra- on court from practice from, from 2 o'clock through to about 5 o'clock is a standard day um, with coaches on court, that is. So about three hours on court. It'll vary from... You know, if we're closer to a game day, maybe we'll go a little bit shorter and just focus on intensity and match play. But especially early in the fall, you know, we're putting in a lot of lot of drilling, a lot of hours, um, working on our fitness a lot. And then finish that session and, and we'll go uh, have about an hour off and then go to the gym from 6 to about 7.30 p.m. And that, that'll be, depending on what part of the year, they'll be, uh, you know, maybe more strength or, or more conditioning. Usually in the fall, will be more strength work and then coming closer to the season, a little bit less on the weights and more of the conditioning aspect. And then in the evening, after I knock off weights around 7.30, I'll have tutoring after that. So um, usually just one hour of tutoring, which is mandatory, and, and use one-on-one with a tutor provided by the, by the athletic department. And uh, we're pretty lucky at Oregon. We've got... A lot of nice facilities. That's just a tutoring centre, just strictly for for, for athletes. Um, and then finish up the day around, yeah, around you know probably around eight thirty, and then have some dinner and go to bed. So it's pretty full on days. That that's that's my busiest day. Um, it'll vary sometimes, of course, but um, yeah, that's that's a pretty standard day. Now you did mention that you have your own cafeteria that's only for athletes, and then obviously there's another cafeteria for non-athletes um it, it is interesting because so many schools in the u.s don't have an athletic um cafeteria it's mostly you see that in you know pac-12 and big 10 SEC schools so yeah those high-end division one schools do have them um especially the school that i went to which was naia we we didn't have an athletic cafeteria but i, I i'm assuming that the meals are so much more healthier and much more nutritious yeah no it's definitely something um you know chatting to a few of my mates like it's definitely something that yeah, I don't take for granted because, you know, as you said, the, the budgets are just through the roof. So you do get that extra, um, you know, that, that five-star hospitality. But, yeah, so we've, we've got 
you know, a lot of buildings just dedicate, dedicated to athletes. So, you know, you'll have your place to scan in and you can only scan in if you, you're, you're an athlete because uh, you have your special card. So you scan in, you'll go in and, and pretty much you have, uh, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all healthy. It's, you know, egg white omelettes, whole range of different fruits to pick from. Like it's pretty much, you know, you, you name it, they've got it and it's all cooked by by full time chefs as well, which is which is pretty nice and um, definitely makes the day, you know, when you've got pretty pretty busy days, it, it makes it pretty handy to have someone cooking for you and, and to uh, take that stress off of, of groceries and whatnot as well. So it's definitely pretty luxurious, but uh it, at the same time it, it definitely helps uh, helps you get through the day and make sure you're fueled as well. And speaking of budgets, I mean, you are right. The budgets are through the roof. I, I did hear from somebody that, like, the owner of the Miami Dolphins donated, like, $200 million to the athletic facility at the University of Oregon, like, the strength and conditioning department. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's true or not, but, I, you know, I've seen online that the uh, facilities are pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, Oregon just held the, uh, the World Athletic Championships, and I think it's safe to say we've got... Uh, one of the best track and field athletic stadiums in the world, not just in, in the college, um, you know, the college industry, but the world. So, you know, we've, we're lucky enough to have Phil Knight as well, um, the owner of Nike, who was who went to University of Oregon, um, spending a lot of money and, and helping out the f- athletic facilities and whatnot. And I think their, the Knight family just made the second donation of $100 million to the university. So... Um, you know, it's just like, yeah, if even, you know, it's crazy if even for him to donate $100 million once, you know, but for it to be second time donating that sort of money just goes to show, um, you know, how much money actually goes into the the sports and, and the university. And, and yeah, he, he signed uh, an open check to build the athletic track uh, facility. So he just said, whatever you need to do to make the best athletic track in the world do it and then i'll sign off on the check so um they didn't actually disclose how much money it was to build the facility because uh they thought it might have started um a bit of like an uproar um like you know just just spending that much money on on athletics itself wow it's 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 pretty remarkable the money that actually gets spent um into collegiate sports but so being in eugene oregon you're in the northern part of the united states I'm assuming it, it does snow um, for extended periods of the year. So, uh, do you play indoors as well? I'd be assuming. Yeah, you're you're right to assume that. So, yeah, we're in the Pacific Northwest of America, so on the west coast, but yeah, the northern part of America. So we're we're renowned for a lot of rainfall throughout the fall months, and and uh, yeah, we'll probably have. We're not known for too much snow, but uh, yeah, we'll definitely experience uh, a week or two. Of uh of snow, um and yeah, so throughout the winter months, where we're all indoors, probably I think you'll be safe to say sixty percent of our seasons indoors at home and forty percent is outdoors. Um, but yeah, we're lucky enough to have to have a to have a good indoor facility match with a nice outdoor facility as well. Now you guys are in the Pac-12 conference, which I guess stands for Pacific 12, and uh, you guys did come last in your conference, but in saying that, you finished fifty-two nationally. Um, in the rankings, which which goes to show how tough the Pac-12 conference actually is. I mean, you're playing like Arizona, USC, Stanford, Utah, UCLA. So if you guys are finishing last in the conference, 
these guys are finishing, you know, some of them are in the top 10. And with you playing number one singles, I'm sure that you're getting some pretty quality matches during the season. Yeah, definitely. No, it's great. It's honestly great to be a part of. And obviously as a program, we don't want to be finishing last, you know, and I think our team's team is better than that this year. We hope we hope to really bring it. But at the same time, yeah, it's not easy. Like a lot of, lot of good teams, a lot of good players playing the number one spot, you know, week in, week out of conference plays. You know, you're, you're playing a lot of players who, you know, are top 350 ATP, semi-finals of challenges, winning 25K futures frequently. So I think this year, yeah, I played uh, Clement Shadek, who was number one in the country in college at some stage. Um, Arthur Ferry, who was number one in the country at, at some stage. Stefan Dostanich, who's a consistent top five player in the country. So, um, you know, week in, week out, uh, you don't really have... You, you, there's no there's no such thing as an easy match. It's, you know, you're preparing for a final of a 25K every week, pretty much. So, um, you know, you can't afford to be to be off your game at all. And, and especially playing at the top top of the singles lineup, I think that's definitely, um, you know, a position where if you can... It's a very important position to play, you know, because if you can secure the point at the top of the lineup, it... it uh, definitely helps uh, helps the team a lot, I think. so. And I think many parents who want to send their kids over to the US and, um, I, you know, it, it, it isn't an option to not become a professional tennis player. In many cases, it is a route to become a professional athlete. If you look at players like Nuno Borges, who played at Mississippi State, Adam Walton, who has just graduated, um, Ben Shelton, who just took out Casper Root in the Cincinnati Masters a couple of weeks ago, like, these players are re- like a borderline pro playing collegiate tennis. So my question to you is, Josh, like do you play futures during the year of the collegiate season? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, yeah, as you said, yeah, the, the level of the top tier college is, is with, without, you know, doubt the professional level. Um, and I think, yeah, you do see a lot of play, a lot of the college top college players and college players dominate the the U.S. futures throughout the year. For me personally, of um, that's that's one thing now that I'm I'm trying to make the transition to, and 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 thus far, like I haven't played that many futures, only playing I think four in the last four years, you know, so. That's definitely a transition I'm looking to make now, but there is plenty of opportunity to play futures within America within the college season, and that's what you see the top players do. Ideally, the college player, there's no restriction to playing futures. So if you get your schedule right, you can maintain studying at university, playing within the college tennis season, and then also playing a fair share of futures as well, which I think Rinky Hijikata showed and and i think he you know was made his way into the top 300 top 350 still playing a full college season but also managing a a strong future schedule as well and ricky just went down to rafa um in four sets i mean he almost took it to a fifth and he's a guy who was just playing at nc state you know a couple of years ago i don't i don't i think decided not to finish but yeah, you so you were playing some futures uh, earlier this year in in June in Monastir, Tunisia. Um, you were saying that some the level is similar to playing um, the collegiate level, but how does the whole environment sort of change from a collegiate match to 
playing those futures tournaments. Yeah, the environment's definitely something that, that some players might adjust to easier than others, for sure. But um, yeah, Monastir itself, you know, is a tough is a tough place to play. I think, but just the whole environment of futures um, compared to college is different in terms of you know you are by yourself. You don't you know you don't probably have enough money to fund a coach. You know when you especially when you're playing at the futures level, so. It is very independent and, you know, all that you've got to, you know, all in the discipline is coming from yourself rather than having someone over your shoulder helping you, telling you what to do, you know. So it's really it's really up to you to be able to, uh, you know, to do the right things and, and, and put in the work and, and uh, stay motivated and mentally solid, you know, on the Futures Tour. And, and uh, you know, it can be tough because then, you know, you make the transition of spending your own money rather than the university funding um, your tournament and your accommodation, you know? So I think it just is that little bit of adjustment to get used to a few of the external pressures of financing it and then also managing to compete by yourself as well. So because college, you do get looked after very well, I think, especially if you're able to get to a top tier university. Um, So just making that transition I think is 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 probably probably one of the biggest factors. Yeah, and if you if you looked at it in a, in a different light, if if you were paying everything privately, like all the tennis coaching, all the strength and conditioning that you're getting at at uh, at Oregon, all the um you know the food and meal plans and that sort of thing, I mean that would cost thousands upon thousands. But now you obviously you're getting it for free, being on a on a scholarship. So does it feel like you have more pressure when you're playing the futures just because you are um, spending more money out of pocket compared to getting everything uh, paid for by the university? Yeah, I think there is. Like, you know, you obviously don't want to, you know, you want to try to limit the pressure as much as possible. And I think one way to do that is just to be grateful for the opportunity. But there is a, definitely there is that pressure, you know, when you're investing money into traveling to certain places, it's not cheap and, and you want to tr- uh, do the best you can to get the most out of, the money you are spending so there definitely is that added pressure i think that's you know one of the great things about university as well is just not having to worry about that just yet and, and maybe trying to uh to get the most out of it while while you don't have to finance it yourself um but yeah definitely i experienced you know traveling to tunisia and flights being quite expensive at the minute and accommodation and maybe not performing as well as i would have liked you know you're not getting as much prize money and whatnot so yeah, there there is a little bit of added pressure to 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 uh, do well because you, you are investing quite a lot of money into it. And it has been a big issue um, over the last five or ten years. You know, the past decade, where if you're winning challenges, you know, it's only three four thousand um, dollars. But then, you know, if you make main draw of the US Open, it's eighty thousand for first round. So it's a massive, massive jump. And if you you know you're seeing guys like Ben Shelton who just got a wild card. Um, I think yeah. So he lost first round, but you know that's eighty thousand dollars that would go to traveling for the for the rest of the year, and you know, let alone this guy was just, you know, I'm sure you might have played against him or others alike. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's brutal like that. I think tennis, and I think tennis, um, you know, really needs to to keep growing and, and really um, see the money trickle down the tournament. This, you know, so I, I feel like you know, let's say you're, you're a top five hundred ATP player. And, you know, you're going deep in futures every week, you know, and, and you know, you, you might, you, you're not making any money still or, or, or whatnot. So I think if you're 500 in the world in any other profession, you know, if you're the 500 best businessman in the world or, 
or something like that, you're probably, you know, you're, pro- you're probably worth $100 million. So I think tennis really needs to look at how to to really make tennis more sustainable for a lot of professionals and and, and, and recognise, you know, the people outside the Grand Slams who are still, you know, quite quite unique and quite special, but, you know, may not feel that way because they're not necessarily getting rewarded financially. So I would love to see more money available um, and up for grabs, in especially the challenger level and then hopefully the future level as well one day. Hopefully these things do improve. Um, they have gotten better um, as of late, which is, you know, posit- a positive thing. Uh, Josh, thanks for so much for coming on the Play USA podcast. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and getting your insights into your collegiate uh, career. Uh, thanks, Lachlan. Thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been great. And there we have it. A big thank you to Josh for coming on this month's episode. You can listen to previous episodes of Play USA through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whichever platform suits you, or by visiting thefirstserve.com.au. Stay tuned for October's episode. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, Read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.